0: You know, technical debt is, uh, is a constant uh, kind of thing that we're facing, so it's not it's not ending with the MVP. So you have a release, you have a contractual obligation from a customer, or even a feature that you just want to get, uh, get to market as fast as you can. You always need to make that you no know, trade-off between, do I want to finish it all the way around and then, like invest the engineering time in creating something that is gonna be super scalable and as clean code as possible and can be easily to, uh, to refactor later on, or we need to uh, to run fast and, and just do that. So we have a bunch of guidelines. No feature is being released without tests. No pull request is being approved without tests. My name is Ray Ravon. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fina.
1: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. And today, how Roy Ravon built the product that's the one source of truth for all your various cloud costs. All this and more on Code Story. Roy Ravon's path to tech started in the Israeli military, like many other founders in Israel. In fact, the very first introduction he had to computers was when he joined the services. This is a common story with founders in the area, as I've noticed from other interviews I've done. He lives in Tel Aviv, and he's a big fan of music, sports, and running his company. In his previous role at Logs.io, Roy and his team spent large sums of money for cloud providers and services. The finest team quickly got wind of these costs and started asking questions. Roy found out that he didn't have answers to the questions, and there wasn't tooling out there to help him. This is the creation story of FinOut.
0: In my previous role, I was an engineering director in a company called Logs.io, with, uh, like a data dog and competitor. In Logs.io, we spent uh, lots of money running uh, a super complicated cloud environment the more time that, uh, you know, the time has passed, we started to, to pay more money for uh, the cloud providers and to pay more money for more cloud providers and more services, right? So we started just by uh, running on AWS and then some of the workload shifted to Azure. And then we purchased Akamai uh, uh, and Stripe and uh, Trilio and uh, MailChimp and, you know, a bunch of uh, different services that all uh, always increased. And the finance department were, uh, uh, you know, coming to, coming to us to ask us, Hey guys, why do we spend so much money for uh, for those services? Uh, how much do we pay for a specific uh, customer? What's the price of that feature? How can we be more competitive in the market? We felt that you know we should have the answers to those questions that were uh, you know supposed to be trivial, but unfortunately, like uh, the current tooling in the market just gave us the notion of uh, how much we are paying, uh, and we're missing the why part. So this is why we, we decided to build Finout, and that was in uh, uh, March of uh, 2021. We were officially funded, uh, we're free partners. Essentially, what you want to do in Finout is to take all the usage-based price software out there. So cloud providers, but also solutions like Snowflake, like DataBug, like wherever, uh, you know, that you're really actually paying lots of money for. Once we have that cost within clean-out, we need to enrich it. So we need to support native technologies like Kubernetes, like Spark, like RDS uh, to really break down the cost into more and more granular units. Once we have all those individual components, we can help customers assign the cost directly to their respective team, feature, product, whatever that they're running on. We can help them identify and create their unit economics. Uh, so instead of just looking at how much money do we spend for AWS, they can start to look at how much money do you spend per event, per click, per transaction, per gig, per whatever. And we can help them tie those costs directly to their customers to understand the profitability margins and to help them actively save money on their entire spend uh, so they can be more profitable, uh, they can draw the path
1: to profitability and
0: they can build better, uh, better cloud products.
1: So tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, how long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: It's a common knowledge that if you're not uh, super ashamed of your MVP, you released it too, too late. We were highly ashamed of, uh, <laughs> of a product that, uh, that we released. Uh, I looked at the uh, pictures of it a few, uh, a few months ago and like I, I grabbed my head and like, uh, how did we let that happen? i really believe that uh, building an mvp is not what you think is an mvp rather when the market points you to it if you don't have customers that are using your product and give you feedback so how can you build your mvp so uh, this was something that guided us from from day one we we gathered as many design partners as we can we gathered as many folks that can just use the platform and give us constant feedbacks while we were actively developing That allow us to to get to a point that uh, we have a product that Really worth money for uh, for customers uh, very early on because we were able to distill that uh, that feedback. So we built everything on AWS, everything on Kubernetes, as many managed services as we can. You know, we prioritized time to market more than anything. We tried to use the modern technologies. So everything is built on Node.js and on Python, running Spark jobs. You know, the entire technology behind the scenes is as modern as it uh, as it could be. To really time to value, this is the only important thing when uh, when building an MVP.
1: You alluded to some of these, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into them or open open up some space a little bit for decisions and trade offs that you had to make. So this could be technical debt, feature cut, releasing as fast as possible. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade offs you had to make and how you coped with those decisions.
0: You know, technical debt is a uh, is a constant uh, kind of thing that we're facing. So it's not it's not ending with the MVP. So you have a release, you have. Uh, contractual obligation from a customer or even a feature that you just want to get again uh, to market as fast as you can. You always need to make that no trade-off between do I want to finish it all the way around and like invest the engineering time in creating something that is going to be super scalable and as clean code as possible and can be easily to, uh, uh, to refactor later on or we need to, uh, uh, to run fast and, and just do that. So we have a bunch of guidelines. No feature is being released without tests. No pull request is being approved without tests. We try to keep high confidence of our code and build everything right. But we do uh, know and need to compromise on specific, uh, specific technical debts because, again, if we're not going to release the feature, we can build the product for years without <laughs> selling it, but uh, we're probably going to you know, run out of money and close the business. So technical debt is an ever-evolving and, and it's constant debate and different you know, factors of the organization as you grow starts to, to push to different sides, right? So uh, uh, sales wants you to, uh, to create more features for for your users and uh, the product wants to uh, to create uh, the you know complete and round product roadmap that uh, that they have engineering's wants to uh, uh to prioritize on under their debt and build you know use the more uh, uh must uh, uh, innovative technologies it's always a battle of keeping that you know trade-offs uh, to to match the business but also keeping your growth and uh, not uh, not digging up holes before uh, <laughs> before you get in
1: okay so from that point then how did you progress the product and mature it? And, I, and I'm curious how you went about building your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build.
0: We try to gather as much feedback as we can from our customer and prospects. And you know, if we got to the point that we're hearing the same feedback from 20 different uh, prospects that uh, they can't use Finout because they don't have X, it's apparent that we need to build that in order to, to support it. And, we need to make sure that we're not skewing our results based on a specific uh, specific territories or specific segments or, or verticals. Uh, so we try to gather feedback from as many companies as we can. Uh, we try to talk to f- as many users as we can. I think one of the uh, uh, dirtiest points that, that we did was flying to, to reinvent. Uh, we didn't have nothing. We didn't even have a product to show. But we wanted to talk to as many users as we can. So uh, we hosted a drinks, uh, drinks event. We got uh, uh, lots of uh, registrants and, and uh, folks that, that came. And we just started to, to talk to everyone about their cloud cost management, about their needs, about telling them about Finout, getting their feedback. So uh, this is really what's shaping the product. So product need to be, in my opinion, based on you know the actual users and the buyers and not based on what you uh, want to build uh, or they want to, the market needs you to build.
1: So let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to help indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: So I think the biggest challenge of, uh, of building a company is uh, is hiring your first employees. You know, when you just uh, you just got funded, you have you don't even have a website, you don't have anyone who knows you. Uh, no one even heard your name, you haven't had a PR yet, and you need to convince someone to quit their job and come work for you, which is a really non-logical thing to do, right? You don't want to compromise. You can't compromise. Like, the first 20 people need to be A-list. Uh, they are the one that's going to build your company later on. They're the one that's going to recruit uh, the next generation of employees. They're the one that's going to uh, create the culture, create the, uh, the code base, create the guidelines, create everything. In, in the early days, we spent like half our time uh, interviewing. We wanted to really get uh, the best, uh, the best folks out there. So we uh, scanned our entire LinkedIn uh, network. I got the folks that, that we served in the army with, that we studied with, that uh, friends of friends of friends. You know, trying to really build everything. Uh, to get, uh, to get to the right team. But once you're talking to someone and it's really like, he understands the vision, he understands what you want to build. And you see the sparkle in his, their eyes that they get what Finalt is trying to do. They get the magnitude of the problem and they want to commit to that. You know that this is a team player. You know that this is someone who is going to work himself out to build the product and to build what, uh, what you're doing. These are like the players that, uh, that you really want to get.
1: Well, Roy, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: You know, the first time that we're getting a quote from a customer saying that we saved him a bunch of money or uh, that uh, he is enjoying using the product, or when we're releasing a new feature, that, uh, you know, we're starting to get uh, stack messages from, uh, from a bunch of our customers saying, uh, Thank you so much for releasing this. this, is what we were expecting. Like, these are moments that give you, you know, that give you joy, that give you pride that you managed to build something, you know, as a company that is impacting the way that uh, the companies are consuming cloud costs and uh, changing the day to day operation. And, you know, you see daily users uh, that are uh, using something. That, uh, that you build. You see the employees coming to to the office that uh, that you build to spend time with one another and really create the culture of the company that you envision that uh, that you're going to build. Uh, those are the things you know that, that really keeps us and gives us the fuel to, to continue doing what you're doing.
1: So let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: So I think uh, very early on we focused the product on the wrong persona. You now what we're selling is going to be very appealing to finance. We talked to a bunch of CFOs, we talked to a bunch of VP Finance, you know, to start and, uh, and pitch them thin out, and they were like super receptive of what we had to do. We figured out that there was uh, no really organizational buying to do something that finance wants. Uh, they just don't have that, uh, that influence. Just by you know, changing uh, changing the way that they, we when we, we to build a product like the DevOps engineers, so we build the product that DevOps engineers wants to use, and when we started talking to DevOps, our convergence rate started to get through the roof is because that DevOps getting those questions from finance and uh, we can help them deal with that and we can help them build the product that they were actually wanting to use because uh, while doing the product and building it for finance it was super intuitive, super simple, super fast, super easy to integrate and the best way that DevOps wants to, to implement products now is to spend as few, uh, few times as possible to, to actually integrate it and just get value uh, value super fast. Correcting that mistake and really changing the way that uh, uh, that we did the right persona to, to chase after, we we saw like great value. And it's, uh, I think, uh, one of the biggest mistakes that, that we made there. Yeah.
1: Well, this will be fun, Roy. So tell me what the future looks like for the product and for your team.
0: The future is going to be amazing. We're building something huge here. When we're thinking uh, thinking about the market, you know, the SAPs of the world really drop the ball when it comes to usage-based pricing. This means that they could deal uh, really great with, uh, uh, with invoices that are just you know arriving once a month, once a year, uh, things that are being uh, contributed to headcount. Once we're starting to talk about instances that are billed by the second and, you know, queries that are billed by the gig, those solutions break. Uh, they can just get the invoice at the end of the month. They have no idea what's happening in between. We see that the market is going towards more and more usage-based consumption, so more companies are offering their their solution as usage-based and more companies are uh, more eager to buy this kind of software because it's easier for them to, uh, uh, to run that procurement processes. And the way that we envision FinOut is to be that next generation of ERP systems for, uh, for cloud native technologies. We want to be the system of record, you know, to aggregate all cloud spend, all expenses throughout everything that is uh, uh, that is part of the cloud, that is not tangible assets. Uh, we're going to support that migration from uh, CapEx to OPEX and really be there to enable digital transformation for, uh, uh, for companies that uh, not even halfway through. That's the future that we envision for Fina. That's what we. Uh, that's what we want to build.
1: Well, let's switch to you, Roy. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name someone or many persons or something you look up to and why.
0: I'm not a big believer, you know, of uh, reading of uh, uh, super influential people that every uh, that everyone named. Uh, I want to get you know proper examples of people I like, can uh, know and trust. Something that I try to do is. Uh, to keep uh, good relations with uh, uh, with a bunch of uh, other CEOs, uh, you know, both that are a few months uh, before me, a few years before me, a decade before me, and even folks that are uh, a few months uh, behind me or a year behind me, Getting that support group uh, really what's uh, uh, you know makes me uh, makes me going because now I'm facing you know the most critical dilemma that I uh, uh, that I think about that's gonna really impact you know the, the entire future of camp. And then you're consulting, you know, a CEO that's been in that dilemma just a few months ago, and he was like, it, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're going to decide. Everything's going to be okay. Just don't don't sweat over it. Just decide something that's better than not deciding at all. Having those kind of support groups, and uh, this really impacts the way that I operate because I can have the folks that I, I know and trust and build that long-term relationship. And I really must, uh, I know, base my operation on those folks rather than on people I read the, uh, in a book somewhere or read an article that they read.
1: Okay, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: When we started Fan Out, Something that was uh, very important to us was the, uh, to work together. So uh, we hired, uh, you know, a shared we and then we migrated to another shared we workspace uh, just a bigger room. And we felt that, you know, it's, uh, it was great, but it's not really giving us the, the real office vibe and office sensation. And uh, after we found an office space of our own in Tel Aviv and we migrated to it, we immediately saw, you know, a change throughout the organization. So everyone was starting to really behave, you know, and work together as a company and to eat lunch together and to be a lot more open and to to work together and play music and to talk and uh, the entire atmosphere change and i think something that i would change is to get all in on an office as fast as i can to get an office that and invest money in an office that is big enough and convenient enough and uh, really accommodates uh you know the way that uh, that the company is uh, is working and not spending too much time at WeWork uh, and not managing to to really generate that culture that uh, uh, that is only only going to happen when you have your own
1: space. Well, Roy, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you, right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit?
0: Pick your teammates. An idea is going to change uh, the way that you think about the idea right now, and the passion, that, you know, the passion that you have for it is going to change. The constant things are your running mates, the co-founders that you start business with, the early investors. Can change every single person in your life uh, other than your uh, your investors in your company. So it's really important to picking the right folks to run alongside them and to make sure that you have a strong connection, that you trust one another, that you're getting money from people that you know that is going to, uh, you know, push you to your to limits, but uh, also, uh, you know, roll down in the mud with you if you're down. So it's all about persons. It's all about the people uh, and building a business is, is not about technology. It's not about anything. It's about creating that, uh, you know, camaraderie and, and work that you're running together and... Uh, with that, going to come great results. And if you're going to have an issue there, so your entire company is in jeopardy, it doesn't matter how good of product that you have and how uh, good of, uh, you know, go-to-market strategy you have and uh, how, many, uh, how many millions of dollars do you have in ARR. If your culture is wrong, then uh, it's going to be very
1: hard to do something. That's great advice. Roy, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of FinOut. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.